story of the day of Pentecost, and we've talked about a number of things, spent quite a bit of time already on chapter 2, but all of the events that took place, that is with the, uh, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and the, uh, the, the scene, I guess you might say, that was set by His coming, them speaking in tongues, the noise that was associated with that, left the people with some reactions that we mentioned the last time, uh, Luke, uh, about three or four times, he mentions the fact that these people are just puzzled beyond belief, I guess is one way of putting it. And so that's what we see here in verse number 12. He says, beginning there, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? The word amazed means, and I think we may have mentioned this the last time, it means to throw out of position, to displace, or to throw into wonderment. And so it just threw them off, if you will. Sometimes you'll hear people say today, well, you know, somebody said something and that just threw me off. Okay, well, that's what happened to them. They, they were thrown out of position. They didn't know what to think. But he also says that they were perplexed. They were perplexed. The word perplexed there means to be entirely at a loss to be entirely at a loss. It's used eight times in the New Testament. And uh, Luke chapter 9, at verse number 7, the Bible talks about how that uh, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the things that were going on in regard to Jesus, and he was perplexed because some, some thought that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. And so he knew that he had beheaded him, and And yet, here it is that uh, it it just made him, uh, as it were, entirely at a loss because that's what he thought. Same thing is true in Acts chapter 10 at verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Remember, Peter had seen the vision, the sheet that was let down by the four corners. It was lunchtime, and uh, the voice came. The angel said, uh, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Nope, I haven't done, never done anything like that. And, of course, we have the conversation, and I'm putting it in the short form here, that the Lord said, Whatever I've cleansed, you don't call unclean. And he didn't know what to think about that until he got down stairs and there were some men who were from the house of a Gentile and Peter began to figure it out that he needed to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles as well. And so we have that reaction. I wanted to start back there in verse number 12. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying one to another, what does this mean? But then you've got another group of folks that are mentioned here in verse 13. And others, notice he says others, and others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. Now, what does he mean by that? What what is it that, that Luke is portraying to us here? Others who were mocking made a statement here. And what is that statement? Well, these men are full of new wine. What does it mean to be filled with new wine? Well, If you think about what is being said here, the new wine was the sweet wine, I guess you might say, or basically what we would call grape juice. And so they're they're saying, you know, sort of with the wink of an eye, that these men have been hitting the grape juice a little bit too much. In other words, they're implying that they're drunk, okay, 
Uh, they, they, these are supposed to be followers of Jesus, and they're implying that, hey, you know, these, these guys, they, they done got up and uh, they've been drinking already. Uh, they just said, you know, that they've been hitting the grape juice too much. And, and notice that he says that the ones who said this, why was it that they were doing it? Were they really trying to give an explanation as to what was going on? No, they were mocking. I mean, that's what, that's what Luke says. I mean, that, was, that wasn't a trick question or anything. They weren't trying to give a real explanation as to what was going on. They were mocking these men for being able to speak in these languages that they had not uh, ever studied. And so, as they are, they are filled with this new wine, or they say that they're filled with this new wine, uh, you, you might think that they're doing it with a wink and a nod, uh, Brother Wayne Jackson says, ridicule is a frequent reaction when one cannot answer the truth or when one cannot explain uh, things. And so these men began to deride, to scoff, to mock. And, and this word mocking that's used is used only one time in the New Testament right here. And, and it's uh, uh, used in regard to the events of the day of Pentecost. Okay? So what happens when all of these people are perplexed and, and they don't know what to think, and then you've got this other group over here mocking and coming up with some smart aleck uh, kind of uh, uh, you know, saying that, that, they were, that they were making, what is it that, that happens next? Well, verse 14 says, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now, it's an interesting thing that Peter says here. He uh, is going to explain that they're not drunk, as you suppose. Uh, he'll, he'll, uh, he'll deal with that uh, in verse number 15. But when you go back to verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. When we think about the word address, what is it that, uh, that would come to our mind? Well, the word is used only three times in the New Testament, the word that's translated addressed here. And it's very interesting to me, as I think you'll see in just a moment, it literally means to speak out, to speak forth, or to declare oneself, okay? And so I said it's used only three times in the New Testament, it's used here in verse number 14, where it says that they address them, or that Peter addressed them, could you, would you care to guess where it's used again, or where it actually had been used previously? Look back to verse number 4 of Acts chapter 2. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 2. And you'll begin to tie some things together, I think, with what Peter is doing and the answer that Peter is giving. Okay? Somebody read verse 4. Acts 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Guess which word is the word that's translated, addressed in verse 14, that's found in verse 4? As the Spirit gave them utterance. When Peter begins to speak... He begins to address them 
But where are the words coming from? Yep, Peter, Peter is not just standing up trying to come up with something to say. I believe that the Bible is teaching us here that Peter is saying what the Spirit is telling him to say. That he's speaking, remember verse 4, they speak as the Spirit gave them utterance, as the Spirit let them address people, and now he is addressing them. Now he is helping them uh, to understand what is actually going on here in this place. And so the other time that it's used, I said it was used three times, it's used by Paul in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, If you go down to Acts chapter 26 at verse 25, Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words when he's addressing Yep, when he's addressing uh, uh, Festus there, uh, he, Festus says, much learning has made you mad. And Paul said, nope, I, I'm, speaking, I'm speaking the truth. I'm speaking right words. And reckon how it was that Paul was able to speak the words that he needed to speak to Festus. He was speaking the words that God had delivered to him through the Spirit to be able to do that. And so... When you look at it here, it's not that just Peter just stood up and started preaching, you know, uh, had this sermon all written down and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, gonna, <clears throat> I'm coming up with this. God himself through his spirit is directing Peter as to what to say. And no wonder then, you know, we, we start out that way uh, and we see him addressing uh, these mocking people and, and, you know, addressing that matter. We see him doing that. And so no wonder when we get on down into later things that he's going to say in regard to what uh, is happening here from the book of Joel and all of that, Peter is putting two and two together, not because Peter is so learned in the Scriptures, but because God is saying, hey, I reveal this back there, and this is what's happening now. And Peter is telling that, he's expressing that to the people then, And he's letting us know, even 2,000 years later, what has happened and what was happening on that day had been prophesied by God. It wasn't something that that was just uh, catching everybody off guard. Okay, so he addresses everybody who can hear his uh, words there, people of Judea and the ones who were in Jerusalem. And he said, let this be known to you. And basically, that latter part, give ear to my words, listen up. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. Now, why would they need to listen carefully? He's not just going to address the matter of them, whether they're drunk or not. He's going to address the matter of whether they can have salvation or not and how to be saved. And so that that would behoove anybody to listen up, you know, and to listen very, very carefully. One other thing, as I look at that and I think about it, and you already know quite well, that when the apostles spoke or when they wrote, they were speaking words that were from God, just like the Old Testament writers did. When David spoke and when David wrote, where did he get his words? Well, he got them from God. And Isaiah would talk about how he spoke the word of God. And Jeremiah and others as well. And so these men actually are not doing anything different than the prophets before them. They just have a different message, a new message, if you will. 
and a new uh, explanation of the things that some of these Old Testament prophets who spoke by the Word of God spoke the words of God. Uh, they have the explanation of what it really and truly meant. Okay? Verse 15, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. Okay? He, he addresses uh, the matter there uh, about the being, the being drunk. Uh, the word suppose there is interesting. The word means literally to take up or to take up in the mind. Okay, and so these men evidently had said mockingly that Peter and the other apostles were, uh, were, were drunk. And, and um, even though they said it mockingly, it may have been that some of the crowd... Uh, who, who uh, were you know, not leaders but followers, it may have been that they took that up in their mind and, and began, you know, that makes sense. These men, they're doing this and, it, and really and truly they're drunk. And again, it's interesting that the word is used back in earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 1 at verse number 9. Uh, remember I said that the, the suppose, the word that's translated suppose, means to lift up or to, uh, to lift up in one's mind, okay, or to take up. Uh, it's used in Acts chapter 1 at verse 9, where the Bible says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so <clears throat> the lifting up thing, something they picked up in their, in their head and, and began to contemplate and began to think about. All right, let's go on, verses 16 and 17. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And somewhere, uh, 18, even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Okay? So, uh, verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So, let's go here and uh, let's talk about all of these verses again together. As we look at it, Peter, of course, addresses the fact that, that they're not drunk, but this is actually the fulfillment of the prophecy that came uh, many centuries before, came through the mouth of the prophet Joel. Uh, if you go back to the book of Joel, chapter 2, you'll find that in verses 28 through 32, uh, almost word for word. Uh, it's just a little bit different in, uh, in the reading here in the English Standard Version, but, but it's almost word for word that we find back in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Now in a minute we'll see a couple of things that, that are uh, a little bit different that he says, but what is it as we look at what Peter quotes from the Old Testament and says here, what is it? What are some of the things that we can learn that we learn from Joel's prophecy that actually is being fulfilled in this in, at that particular time? Now, these may not necessarily be in uh, chronological order as you read them, but let's pick up a few things. Okay, 
And in the last days, let's start right there. That's pretty close to the front. But in the last days, there's something going to happen. When we're looking at it here, what, what is it that we find? Well, the last days that Joel wrote about and what Peter is talking about was not some future far off event. Whatever it is that Joel is talking about and Peter is saying is happening here is happening when? In the last days. Okay, so... What is, it that he's, uh, what is it that he's talking about? Not some, some future time or the end of time. It was happening at that point. The last days refer to what? Or, well, let's think about that one for just a minute. Not the last days of the Mosaic Law, but the last days in regard to the first dispensation of time, the patriarchal dispensation of time, the second dispensation of time, the Mosaic dispensation of time, and the third dispensation of time is the Christian dispensation of time. Is God ever going to change the law again? Is God ever going to make a difference again? No. No. And so that's what he's talking about in the last days. The, the last days have to do with the last dispensation of time, the Christian dispensation of time. Uh, turn to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse number 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. And I want somebody to read down through verse number 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But realize this, that in the last days, different times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoiding such men as these. Okay, that's good right there. Uh, when did Paul say, writing to Timothy, when did Paul say all of these things that he writes about here and mentions in these verses, when are they going to happen? And so, have you ever heard anyone use this passage or quote from this passage and say the end of time must be getting near because look at all of this stuff that's going to happen in the last days. Well, the last days that Timothy or that Paul is writing to Timothy about is the same last days that Peter is talking about. Okay? Now, is what Paul in writing to Timothy, is what he is talking about some future thing? How would you know that it's not some future thing? Uh, well, in verse 5, he, he says there they deny the power of uh, God. And Jesus accused the Sadducees of doing that. Yeah, they did that. Prior to uh -huh. the day of Pentecost. So it's not something new yeah. as, as well as anything in that list. None yeah. of it's new stuff. 
Well, look at the last part right there, after, after that denying the part. What does Paul tell Timothy to do? Avoid such men. Now, is, is Timothy still alive? Paul tells Timothy to avoid these folks. And so, when Paul tells Timothy to avoid these folks, what does he imply? All of this is possible when? During, his life. during, Paul, during Timothy's lifetime. Not 2,000 years later. That's not, what he, that's not what Paul has in mind. You see, the, the last days that Peter mentions that Joel prophesied about are the days of the church, the days of the Christian age. And, and the same thing is true when Paul writes to Timothy. Let's go the other way, though. Let's go back to the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 2 and look in verses 2 and 3. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountain. Shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the all right to make it shorter tonight what is Isaiah writing about Isaiah is writing about the coming of the kingdom the house of the Lord will be established in the mountains of the Lord uh, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established what does Paul call the church in uh, the book of, what, 2 Timothy? Tells Timothy that he needs to know how to behave himself in the house of God. Okay? He's talking about the church. People would come from all over, Gentiles and Jews alike. But when would that be established? According to Isaiah. Now Randy read from the English Standard Version, which says what? In the... Latter days, if you've got the King James, somebody have the King James? It shall come to pass in the last days. The word translated latter uh, in the English Standard Version means end or latter, okay? And it's used that way a, a number of times in the Old Testament uh, to mean the end and translated actually the end. And so in the end days or the last days, that's when the house of the Lord would be established. And so Joel says it, and Isaiah says it, and he says, Peter says, this is what's happening, this is, this is what's taking place in the last days, and we're going to see several other things here. But even Paul, as we noted earlier, just a moment ago, even Paul recognizes the Christian dispensation, those times, as being the last days. Okay? All right, so he says, in the last days it shall be that... Uh, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Now, have we not had the Spirit being poured out there on the day of Pentecost? Yes, that's what's actually happening here. And so Peter's explaining that. But, but the next part of that, when he says, I'll pour out my Spirit, when he says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, may be confusing to some. Okay? 
when we think about, if we just read that without studying it and looking through it, when he says, I pour out my spirit on all flesh, what would that imply? Everybody's going to, everybody's going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's still, there are a lot of religious bodies today who, who teach that, okay? That's not actually what he says. He's going to pour it out on all flesh as in all nations. What did he do? On whom did he pour it out on the day of Pentecost? Let me just, let me just sort of uh, move forward here. On who, who, who did he pour the Spirit out on the day of Pentecost? Now, we spent time back at the beginning of Acts chapter 2 showing exactly who it was that received the Spirit on that day. The apostles, all of the things point to the fact that it was these 12 men who received it. But what were they? What, what, what uh, <clears throat> uh, nationality, what race were they? They were Jews, okay? Uh, as opposed to the, do I? Well, that's what we're getting to. As opposed to the, uh, the Jews received it, and he says, remember he says all flesh, okay? And then 10 years later, what happened again? the house of Cornelius that we've already mentioned tonight. It was poured out on the Gentiles. Peter makes it clear that it happened to them just like it did to the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And so he says here that it would be poured out on all flesh, and indeed it was. It, was, uh, it, it wasn't all at the same time, okay? But then look at the, uh, let's keep going on, and he talks about, uh, the sons and the daughters, how that they would prophesy. Young men would see visions. When I was growing up, and my daddy would read Bible verses at night to me, uh, usually it was my mother who read, but um, sometimes daddy would, and I never remember him reading anything other to me than Acts chapter 2. That's the only, that's the only passage that I ever remember him reading. And it's this part, you know, and it talked about the dreaming of dreams and things like that, you know, and that's, that stuck in my mind when I was just a little, a little boy. And so, uh, but he says he'd pour out his spirit on all flesh. And then he says, in your sons and your daughters. Okay, so we've got the Jews receiving the spirit on the day of Pentecost. We've got the Gentiles receiving the spirit in Acts chapter 10 at the household of Cornelius, but additionally we've got others who would receive some manifestation of the miraculous, but how would they receive it? Through the laying on of the apostles' hands, okay? And so no wonder then when we read in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, uh, when Philip went down to Samaria and preached, that they did not receive the Spirit until what happened? Peter and John went down there. And what did they do? They laid their hands on him. What kind of, what kind of, uh, uh, what kind of, <clears throat> let me ask it this way. Uh, what did they impart? What, 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 what kind of thing regarding the Spirit did Peter and John impart to the people in Samaria? How do we know that? Because we've got the story of you keep on going. You, you got it right. We got the story of Simon. He wants the power to do what they were doing. And he offered to buy it. 
And so it's not some, uh, what, what they're giving these people is not some indwelling of the Spirit that we would, you know, that we would talk about, but it's what Peter's talking about here on the day of Pentecost. And so they laid their hands on them to be able to, to do numerous things. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we had people arguing because some got one part, one, one gift, and others got a different one, and, and some were jealous because they thought the one they got wasn't as good as the one somebody else got. Okay? And so, you know, we've got that, but all of that came through the laying on of the apostles' hands. All right? Now, now I think that's, we, we probably all have understood that, but it's this next part that sort of gets tricky that sometimes folks maybe don't understand. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Did that happen? Let me ask this before we go any farther. Were, were women second-class citizens in the, in the kingdom? Were they second-class citizens in the kingdom of God? I've got some going this way and some going this way, and some I just don't, I don't think they know which way to go. <laughs> in society, women were... That's why the Samaritan woman, one of the reasons why she was so shocked when he turned around and sat down at the well with her, uh, John chapter 4. Yeah. They're not second class citizens, you know, in the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that they don't, we don't have different roles. Okay. That's not what we're talking about here. All right. Do we ever have an example of women prophesying in the New Testament? Okay, prior, prior to, okay. Okay, and, and who do we read about in Acts chapter 21? Philip had four, yeah, Philip had four virgin daughters. English Standard just translated unmarried. But he had four virgin daughters that did what, Bert? They prophesied. Philip the Evangelist, he identifies there that passage uh, uh, in Acts chapter 21, uh, verse number 9, where he talks about the daughters, but in verse number 8, he identifies Philip as the one who had these daughters. Uh, but these ladies, these women prophesied. Okay? Turn to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5. Okay, and so depending on where you are, you may get into when you read that passage a, a discussion about should should women have their head covered or should they not have you know some kind of covering on their their head? You know that's the discussion. Uh, let's skip over all of that tonight. What were these women doing? Praying and prophesying. Okay, now that leads me to another question related to the one that I just asked a moment ago. Were, were women second-class citizens in the, in the kingdom of God? No. 
Uh, you can go to the book of, uh, uh, of uh, Galatians, and Paul makes it clear there's neither Jew nor uh, Gentile, male nor female, so forth, uh, uh, free man or, bun, uh, or uh, uh, servant. He makes it clear. But just because they had the ability to prophesy, does that mean that they could do that in public over a man? Now, in Acts chapter, I mean, rather, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he talks about the women praying and prophesying. Does, does that mean that, that, that ladies led prayers at church? How do you know that? Where did he tell them that? <laughs> well, let me, help, let me help you out. What about 1 Corinthians chapter 14? 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 34 and 35. Somebody turn over there. Brother Bo said he's in 1 Corinthians. Just read the whole book. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 34 and 35. Or 14, verses 34 and 35. Okay, and so you've got the idea, and, and he elaborates more on that in the book of First Timothy chapter two, but uh, in speaking or usurping authority over over the man. But does Paul say that they're doing something in in First uh, Corinthians eleven that he forbids in First Corinthians chapter fourteen? That would sort of be inconsistent, would it not? Now, was it proper for women to prophesy? Absolutely. In some time, at some times and in some circumstances. Okay. Now, what would some of those be? At home. At home. Okay. Where else? Who would they have the ability to teach? Other women. Do we not read about that in First Timothy? That the older women are to teach the, women, women. Teach the younger women. Now, how are they going to know what to teach? unless God revealed it to them to be able to teach them. And so, yes, what's happening here in Acts chapter 2 is what Joel prophesied. But when he prophesied, he talked about God pouring out His Spirit on all flesh, both Jew and Gentile, and not just all flesh, Jew and Gentile, but also men and women. And the men and the women received it through the laying on of the apostles' hands, as we noted briefly tonight out of the book of Acts chapter number 8. And Second Timothy 1 verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so we have all of that. All right. We're going to pick back up here next time because there's a couple of other things that we need to 